ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ ಸೊ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷನುಭೂತಿ a classic text of non-dual vedanta and we are almost at the end we are discussing vedantic meditation you know in the study of vedanta we have shravana manana nididhyasana the hearing of the truths and then the reflection reasoning about it and then meditation in depth about it so the vedantic meditation nididhyasana now in this text shankaracharya deals with this in a very interesting way the classic text of meditation is patanjali yoga sutras and there patanjali speaks about meditation with eight limbs eight steps or eight limbs of meditation ashtanga yoga and what are those ashtanga yoga what are the eight limbs we know yama the um, moral disciplines niyama the uh, the control the uh, moral practices two aspects of moral disciplines yama and niyama then asana the proper sitting and posture then pranayama which is control of the breath and then pratyahara withdrawing the senses from their objects and then dharana focusing then only dhyana which is meditation and then that is followed by samadhi the deepest absorption possible to these so these are the terms which shankaracharya has borrowed from patanjali yoga for vedantic meditation and to these he adds to these eight terms he adds seven more so 8 plus 7 15 terms do you remember the 15 steps of vedantic meditation i think it was in verse 101 or 102 yes he retains the eight terms given by patanjali and to that and also to that he adds seven more borrowed from different branches of yoga again and to each of them he gives a twist a vedantic or non dualistic interpretation so what were the 15 steps of vedantic meditation according to shankaracharya yama you'll find the commonality yama the uh, the moral restraints niyama the moral practices disciplines tyaga renunciation maunam silence desha appropriate place kala the appropriate time asanam sitting moolabandha the yogic locks deha samyam posture of the body drikstiti where do you keep your eyes prana sanyamanam that is um, pranayama control of the breath uh, pratyahara withdrawal dharana focus we have come up to this so 13 steps have been completed in each case shankaracharya gave a new meaning to it a non dualistic interpretation to it and now only two remain the final two meditation and samadhi dhyana and samadhi so that's what we are going to look at 14th and 15th steps of um, nididhyasana vedantic meditation we are on verse number 123 isn't that so yes 123 deals with dhyana meditation so you see in patanjali scheme meditation comes at the seventh limb and in shankaracharya scheme it comes in the 14th Ste- 14th step of 15 st- uh, steps or 14th practice among 15 practices that's why meditation is so difficult we just sit quietly and say what are you doing i'm meditating not so fast <laughs> all right 123 brahmaivasmiti sadvritya brahmaivasmiti sadvritya 
निरालंबतया स्थिति निरालंबतया स्थिति ध्यान शब्देन विख्याता ध्यान शब्देन विख्याता परमानंददायिनी परमानंददायिनी रिमेनिंग फर्मली एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन द नॉलेज आई एम ब्राह्मण विदाउट सपोर्ट दिस इज व्हाट इज नोन एज मेडिटेशन एंड इट इज इट गिव्स राइज टू द अल्टीमेट ब्लिस all right so what does this mean meditation can be of different kinds one is where you use the mind to the fullest extent instead of trying to control or retract or contract the mind you use the mind uh, in hindi there's nice word phailana vistar to spread it out how do you use the mind to the fullest extent i remember one monk um a very senior monk he told me that how does he calm down his mind he said well i sit quietly and i imagine going to dakshineshwar where sri ramakrishna was there so i see the room in which sri ramakrishna is sitting and teaching others i go i go there and watch that scene for a while then i walk across the courtyard to the temple of the divine mother kali i go in there because he's been there all the time i mean he has seen all of this very vividly now he can reconstruct it i bow down there then i go to the temple of krishna i go to the 12 temples of shiva i take a dip in the ganges maybe go to the panchavati then immediately it's advantage of doing it in your mind you don't have to face the traffic i'm <laughs> transported instantaneously to belurmat um across the river and then i go into the temple at belurmat bow down to the temple at, uh, to sri ramakrishna in the temple walk down by the river go to the temple of swami brahmananda salute there circumambulate go to the temple of the holy mother ma sharada those who have been there if you just keep your eyes closed you can immediately all of these will be called up and make it vivid feel each step as you are walking you can look up and you can know what you are going to see feel the wind on your face the uh, river uh, gurgling past going into the temple the cool uh, marble floor on a touch of it on your forehead when you bow down feel it mentally repeat the mantra the pranam mantra that i'm saluting the divine mother ma sharada i'm going around the temple again bowing then walking i'm walking up to the temple of swami vivekananda and walking to the place where the direct disciples were, when they passed away they were cremated there the samadhi sthal is there uh, then from there i go to kashipur he is telling me where sri ramakrishna spent his last days and i've read all of that i know what happened there so i can reconstruct the scenes i'm standing there and watching sri ramakrishna and the devotees taking care of him in his last days i go to kamarpukur and bow down at the temple there i go to jarambati and bow down in the temple there and so time and space don't matter you can reconstruct it entirely in your mind instantaneously you're transported to a different place different different time by the time you've finished this circle 20 minutes 30 minutes you've done all of this you've been all over the place you come back you're sitting quietly your mind has become quiet and uplifted vaishnava devotees wherever they might be in the world sit down in the, in meditation and imagine vrindavan the presence of krishna of radha of the gopis the different places in vrindavan mother yashoda the how krishna looks the garland on his chest the peacock feather the the uh, flute that he's playing so vividly reconstructed christian mystics the vivid presence of christ to the extent that the it was well known that the, the great mystics when they intensely meditated on christ they would get the stigmata the we are today is good friday it's good that we are talking about it today that how christ when he was put on the cross and um the the wounds on the hand there are number of christian saints who actually got that that actual it manifested physically that's by the intense power of thought that is meditation that is deep meditation but that's the meditation of the bhakta of the devotee 
There is another kind of meditation. I'm not yet come to what Shankaracharya is saying. There is another kind of meditation, which is the meditation of the yogi, who does not spread out the mind in so many places, going, thinking about so many things and places. No, no, no. He focuses on one spot, maybe in the heart here, maybe between the eyebrows, and visualizes something, maybe Om or something, and keeps the mind there. The mind wanders away, brings it back. Mind thinks of something else, brings it back. Fixes it in a place, in a symbol, and for a time. Time, space, and object is used to fix the mind. Where is the mind? Not all over the place. Only here. Or only at the altar, there, that, that place. What time? From now on, for the next 30 minutes, or one hour, that much, it will be here only. On what? What is it thinking of? Not many things. Not many places. Only one thing. Maybe Om. Maybe the flame of a candle, maybe the, the uh, symbol of the cross or whatever you are imagining or you know, trying to focus on. Now, the, can you see this is a different kind of meditation? It's a focus-oriented meditation. The first one is called Leela Dhyana. Meditation on the divine play of the avatar of the incarnation. This one is yogic meditation, concentration. Many people say, I vote for the first one, much easier. <laughs> Yeah, because the element of devotion is involved and visualization and it's not so strict that you have to keep the mind focused here again and again and bring it back again and again and again. So yogic meditation is focus. Think about that particular symbol Om in my heart for this amount of time. In this time my mind will not go anywhere else. In, in this space only my mind will remain, not any other place. And it will think of only the Om, not any other thing. As it becomes deeply absorbed, as focus deepens into meditation, then you will drop the Om. <coughs> drop means stop thinking, just stillness. Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodhaha. The modifications of the mind, the waves on the lake of the mind become stilled. That is yogic meditation. But Shankaracharya is not talking about that also. Here we are talking about something else. So Vedantic meditation. What is this Vedantic meditation? First, one must listen, study. You can't just go ahead. If without listening or study, without thinking, without manan, manan means to think deeply about it, clarify. Without deep thinking about it, without getting clarity, if you try to do this Vedantic meditation, you know what will happen? It, you will do it with the mind. It will be a thought in the mind. You are not, when, I, when, you, when the Vedantin is supposed to say, Aham Brahmasmi, actually you are centered on your Brahman nature, on your real nature. If you do not know what that is, then saying Aham Brahmasmi will be a kind of yogic meditation. You are repeating it like a mantra. It's not meant to be repeated like a mantra. What did this verse say? Centered in the knowledge that I am Brahman without a support, steady, that is known as Vedantic meditation. What is it like? It's not like repeating a mantra. What is repeating a mantra? Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, repeat that. That's a mantra meditation. Don't go anywhere else, don't think about anything else, don't repeat anything else in your mind. You have to repeat that exactly and it depends on the repetition. It creates a powerful effect on the mind. But this is not like that. You are not supposed to go on saying Aham Brahmasmi, Aham Brahmasmi, Aham Brahmasmi. You can, but that's not what he's talking about. Then it would not be Vedantic meditation. What is Vedantic meditation? I remember a very senior monk told me once, when they got the vows of monasticism in Belurmat, a very senior monk, they got it from Swami Gambhiranandaji, who was the 11th president of our order many, many years ago, decades ago. So after becoming the newly minted monks, after becoming sannyasis, they are given the Mahavakya, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, among other things. Some of them are secret, some of them are well known, they published. So Aham Brahmasmi means I am Brahman. Now you get a chance to ask your guru questions after becoming a sannyasi. Any, any, any more, what the teaching which has been given, do you have any doubts about it? So they went and their, their question was, the Swami told me, we asked, Swami, 
This one you have told us, I am Brahman, exactly what we are reading about. How many times should we repeat it? How many times? How many times do you have to do japa, repeat it? Because we are used to that kind of meditation. You've got a mantra, so you repeat it. Thousand times in the morning, thousand times in the um, evening, ten thousand times. Holy Mother is to repeat her mantra hundred thousand times a day. So, repeating a mantra, how many times should we repeat it? And Swami Gambhirananda replied, he would talk with it, he would use very few words and with, he would talk with his eyes closed. He's sitting and he replied, it is not meant for repetition, it is meant for realization. Any other questions? No? You may go. <laughs> it is not meant for repetition. You know what it's like? Suppose your name is John. Now do you keep repeating it? I am John, 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 I am John. What are you doing? I am John, I am John, I am John, I am John. Where do you live? I am John, I am John, I am John, I am John. Don't disturb me. I might forget it. Never. Nobody ever does that. Once we were taught, and after very soon we become used to it. When we get the new name as monks, when we were given our names, we were very young. Most of us don't remember it. But I remember it. I got the name, uh, this particular name, only a f f maybe 15 years ago, in 2004. So, what they do is, they have a nice technique. The day you become a monk, the next day, you've already got the name, your guru gives you the name. The next day, you have to bow down to the, all the monks, those who are senior. All of them are senior, because you're a new monk, you're only one day old. So you have to bow down to all the monks and tell them your name, your new name. As a result of which, what happens is, the next day you practice it and there are about 200-300 monks in Belrumats. So you get used to calling yourself Swami Sarva Priyananda and you also get a backache by bowing down so many times. Not only the senior monks, all the novices, the brahmacharis, they will come and bow down to you and touch your feet and ask, Swami, what's your name? So you have to tell your name. So to, to all the seniors and all the juniors and everybody, you repeat your new name the next, very next day. By, the, by nightfall, it's your name. I am Swami Sarvapriyananda. What was my earlier name? I have to think a little bit. <laughs> you don't even have to practice it. It's natural. This Vedantic meditation is like that. A fact. Suppose I tell you to dwell on your name. That, suppose you are John. I tell you to sit quietly and dwell on the fact that you are John. It's like that. You're not repeating a mantra. It's like that. If I ask you, what's your name? Immediately you say, I am John. But were you repeating it earlier? No. You don't repeat it. You, you just know that you're John. The moment you're asked, it's there. So, Aham Brahmasmi, that shift in the identity. Earlier, what was it? I am this person, Sarva Priyananda. And if somebody asks me, are you Brahman? I'll have to wait and stutter a little bit. Yes, according to Vedanta, the, the Swami told me that I am Brahman. Um, I guess I am, theoretically, philosophically. Uh, we'll qualify with so many things. Ultimately, when I get enlightenment, then only. No. It should be absolutely uh, clear and natural and simple. I am Brahman. That knowledge when you dwell on that, that kind of clarity, even before Vedantic meditation, you're clear about it. Now you dwell on it. Then you are dwelling on your Brahman identity. Till it becomes absolutely natural. Before this, you have understood it. Now you are immersing yourself in it. You know, like when you cook something, after some time, when all your work is done, you don't immediately take it off the stove. Uh, what do you do? You put a lid on it and let it marinate. Let it absorb all the spices. Similarly, your Vedantic study is finished. Sit quietly and what you have got, soak it in. That is Vedantic meditation. Not repeating something. If you repeat something without understanding, then you are doing it with your mind. It's a thought in your mind. This Vedantic meditation it sh itself should deepen into Knowledge, I am Brahman, becomes fact for you. From understanding through meditation into a fact.
ever available fact always available fact just like your name is such and such it's always available to you it should become like that you, you it should go to a point where you don't need to meditate on it you don't need to meditate on your name you don't need to meditate on the fact right now that you think of yourself as a man or a woman you don't need to exactly like that one swami of our order he told me an interesting story when he was a young novice he used to go to a monk in the himalayas who was a strong non-dualist staunch non-dualist and he used to go so much that his senior monk in the ashram told him aren't you going to stay in the ashram or he was worried would, would this young man run away to the himalayas and become a disciple of that monk who lives in the himalayas so that monk who was a great non-dualist was passed away since the one who told me the story he said one do i one day i asked him this non-dualist swami how do i know i'm enlightened when i'm enlightened how do i know it and that swami that uh, non-dualist master told me that when right now do you have any doubt that you are a man no you have to think about it do you have to meditate upon it do you have to reason about it do you get confused about it do you have to take classes in it no i know i'm a man exactly like this when you know beyond the possibility of any doubt that you are brahman what you're reading about then you're enlightened there's no question of any confusion any effort after that so that will come only at the conclusion of this meditative process before this you must have done your homework many people say ah vedantic meditation that's the real thing okay swami teach the vedanta stuff i'll come in at the end won't work you won't get anything you just know that oh i'm supposed to be stay with aham brahmasmi okay i'll sit and repeat aham brahmasmi won't work it'll be a nice thing your mind will quieten down it's a good practice but it's not what they are talking about you know to what extent they mean it there's a story about the great sage um ashtavakra and, and the uh oh shukadeva and the emperor janaka ashtavakra was one of the teachers of the emperor janaka who was a brahmagyani an emperor who was a an enlightened person a knower of brahman um one day he was sitting and meditating and the great sage shukadeva was passing by and uh, uh, the emperor was sitting and meditating i am brahman is sitting quietly and meditating they're doing this meditation and the great sage asked him what are you doing oh i'm meditating on the fact that i am brahman don't disturb me now i'm meditating i am brahman so the sage sat down next to him and started repeating that uh, you know the the monks in india they carry a stick and water pot dandakamandalu so he started repeating this is my water pot this is my stick this is my water pot this is my stick <laughs> and uh, uh, the emperor was disturbed and he started repeating audibly i am brahman i am brahman i am brahman this is my water pot this is my stick this is my water pot this is my stick after some time the emperor said in irritation what are you doing i'm meditating i'm on the fact that this is my water pot and this is my stick everybody knows who told you that it's not your water pot and stick for god's sake stop that <laughs> and shukadeva said exactly emperor who told you that you're not brahman you should come to that point you don't even feel the need to repeat that you know and you know, even to stay with that it should not be a mental effort also i remember one monk going to a non-dualist teacher i was there a great swami in the himalayas in haridwar after a long discussion this monk young monk in great earnestness he asked the master but at least this much i must hold on to i will i will not hold on to anything i'm not the body not the mind okay fine but i am brahman i must hold on to this and the swami said this is exactly what you must not hold on to as long as you're holding on to it you think it's an idea you have to hold on to it's not an idea it's not something to be done with the mind initially yes ultimately no so this is the teaching <coughs> brahmeivasmi iti sadvritya with this vritti vritti means the cognition the knowledge i am brahman how will this come oh you have told us swami that's enough no 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 it comes from the entire study that we have done earlier
whatever we have done up to this point that understanding dwell at dawns once the understanding has dawned stay with it that is called brahmevasmiti sadvritya niralambataya sthitih stay with it without support very important what does it mean what does it mean without support usually when we do any kind of meditation there is a support what's the support example the support may be a form i am meditating on shiva so i look at the at the picture of shiva or krishna i there's a picture or an image i look at that and so that my mind focuses on that and does not think of anything else so that form rupa form is the support i'm using it to concentrate my mind all right so form can be a support or something else a text can be a support like a mantra i'm doing om namah shivaya om namah shivaya om namah shivaya here the shabda the words is the support some do both ubhaya alambana the form and the text are both the support i imagine the form of shiva in my heart in the lotus of my heart radiant peaceful meditative and i repeat the mantra the mantra om namah shivaya is being repeated and the form of shiva shines in my heart if my mind gets distracted here and there i pull it back to the mantra and the form that is double support finally when the mind is absolutely steady you drop that support and the mind remains unmoving in the self which is not an object remember even the mantra and the form both are generated by the mind you are using the mind ultimately the objective is to go beyond that stop using the mind remain as you are because you are not the mind in vedanta what do you do the process is different they are also use a support and ultimately drop the support <laughs> it's beautifully explained in drigdrishya viveka in drigdrishya viveka six techniques of meditation are given so let's take the first three it works like this kamadya chitta gadrishya tat sakshitvena chetanam this is the technique anything any movement of the mind which comes up use that to become aware of yourself as the witness of that use that to become aware of yourself as the illuminer of that you know what i mean by that it's like this here is the book i can tell you to focus on the book look at it carefully yes that's one kind of meditation i'm focusing on this or i could tell you do you see the book yes swami then become aware of your eyes as seeing the book don't focus on the book use the book to become aware that you have eyes because of which you can see the book you become reflexively aware of your own eyes because you are seeing the book do you follow the difference between the two if you focus on the book it's yogic meditation if you use the book to reflexively turn and become aware of your eyes though you cannot see the eyes what's the difference you can see the book but you can't see your eyes but you can use the fact that you are seeing the book to become aware that you have eyes to use the book to become aware of the fact that you have eyes this is not vedantic meditation but this is an example what would be vedantic meditation use this books you see in the book yes become aware of yourself as the consciousness in which you are seeing the book instead of a book take up a thought in the mind om or 2 plus 2 is 4 anything take up a thought if you focus on the thought om 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 that's yogic meditation remember what kind of yogic meditation i'll come to you meditation using a support hold on to the question I have to finish this one because this will take three steps. So, what kind of yogic meditation? Using the mantra, the text as a support, shabda alambana. But in Vedantic meditation, what happens? You use the thought of Om 
to become aware of yourself as the witness of that thought. Are you with me? Do many of you understand what I am saying? The difference between the two? Hmm? The consciousness itself which witnesses that thought, that can never become an object. But, is a very clever technique to use an object to become reflexively aware of that consciousness. And the advantage is, if any thought comes up, you can use that to become reflexively aware of the fact that I am the awareness. You see, it's like this. This object proves to you that you have got eyes. If I use another object, the clock, it still proves to you that you have got eyes. In the yogic meditation, you have to keep concentrating on the object. If, you, if your mind thinks of anything other than Om, you have to bring it back to Om and bring it home. <laughs> I was in the Bahamas, in the Shivan and the Ashram there, and those huge cruise ships come up there, right up to the Ashram, the, the waterfront is there, and they have the horns, deep horns. So the horns mean the, the sound which they make when they give a... Um, like they all cruise ships also honk, but then the monks there would say, "Swami, the ships are oming, because it sounds like a deep om." <laughs> if you think of anything else, you have to bring your mind back to the om. That's yogic meditation. But the advantage of Vedantic meditation is, if you think of anything else, that also becomes a pivot, the fulcrum by which you can turn your attention to the fact that you are consciousness. Any thought that comes up can be used to turn your attention to the fact that you are the witness consciousness. Tat sakshitvena chetanam. As you do that for a few minutes, I am the witness consciousness of what? Of anything. Anything that you experience. Could be my voice, could be the presence of your body, could be a holy thought, an unholy thought, could be comfort, discomfort, pleasure, pain, anything can be used to Turn your attention to the fact that you are the witness. As you do that for a few minutes, change the support. What was the support? A thought was the support. Change the support into text. Shabdanuvidha, the second step. What is the text? This witness consciousness which I am. What is it like? Asanga Satchidananda Dvait Swaprabha Dvaita Varjito Asmi I am unattached. None of these thoughts, ideas, memories, feelings stick to me. They come and go in my light. Or in me who am the light. They come and go, they shine and they disappear. They don't stick to me. I am not attached to any thought, good or bad. Swapravaha. I shining, they all shine. Upanishad says, Tameva bhantam manuhati sarvam. Brahman shining, everything shines after it. You say, I shining, all of this shines after that in my light. What am I? This consciousness itself. Sat, Chit, Ananda. It is pure consciousness, it is being itself, and that one itself is bliss. Dvaita Varjita. It is non-dual. Everything that appears in this consciousness has no existence apart from the consciousness. This is text support. Shabda Nuvidha. As you stay with that, noticing this about the witness consciousness, if at that time any disturbance comes, any thought, it will come. Thoughts will come. Use that to focus back again. Once you are focused back again, then use the text. It could be any text. This is the difference between yogic meditation or mantra meditation and advaitic meditation. It could be simply Chidananda Rupa Hashivoham. That consciousness is what? Chit, Ananda, consciousness, Ananda, bliss. Shiva, that is the real Shiva. I am that. As you become stabilized in that, the third step comes. What is that? Drop the object, drop the words. The object support, word support. Drop them word, both. Then, then nothing. After that you cannot really explain, because the mind stops there. You remain as the, the contentless consciousness. That is sam Samadhi. It, these are all called Samadhi in Rigvishya Viveka. Here Shankaracharya says, Dhyanam, meditation. We will see the difference between the two. 
निरालंबतया विदाउट एनी सपोर्ट निरालंबतया स्थिति ड्रॉप द सपोर्ट सो इन वेदांत ऑल्सो यू कैन यूज एन ऑब्जेक्ट एज अ सपोर्ट टेक्स्ट एज अ सपोर्ट बोथ ऑब्जेक्ट एंड टेक्स्ट एज सपोर्ट एंड देन ड्रॉप बोथ शब्दालंबन अहम ब्रह्मास्मी आई एम ब्रह्मन अर्थालंबन विदाउट यूजिंग द टेक्स्ट नोटिस द फैक्ट दैट आई एम द विटनेस कॉन्शियसनेस उभयालंबन use the text and notice the fact that i am the witness consciousness then drop both then what do you do if that question itself comes then immediately use that question who is what is aware of this question and then reuse the text and then go back yeah. so this is called niralambataya sthiti stay there without the support of the text or the object this is a mental object this becomes samadhi we'll see next what is samadhi what will happen here paramananda dayini this is the productive of the greatest peace greatest joy this is bliss everything else is is artificial produced it comes and goes this bliss is natural to you it is infinite without it is always there always available to you does not depend on any of the any conditions of the world before we go on to samadhi the question you you had ha huh? samadhi no question is possible i think some ji the question is you mentioned um the vedantic meditation using the book for example an object and then training it to be aware of your awareness yes and so my question is as the mind can be a very clever thing yes all the tricks are in nature hmm How does one? How might one differentiate between actually being aware of that conscious or that awareness versus having a thought that tries to convince one that you are aware? Don't worry. If you have a thought, I am aware of the consciousness. Now, is am I really aware of the consciousness? <laughs> um, use that. That thought itself is shining in the consciousness. There's no doubt about it. the moment a doubt comes is it right or wrong that's another thought hmm? shankaracharya gives answer to this he says yaiva tasya nirakarta tasyeva atmasa the one who doubts the existence of this pure consciousness the atman the self is the self of the very doubter without that pure consciousness you could not doubt the very doubt proves that you are pure consciousness that's the beauty of advaita once you have understood it nothing can shake you from that but staying with that understanding is the meditation for some time you need to intensely stay with that yes it's not clear to me how you flow from being uh, aware of the consciousness uh, no don't be aware of the consciousness so if uh, the fulcrum the change of yes uh, when you recite that to recite in that to Usage of text as a support. How do you? All right. Use the first example of simple physical example of eyes and the book. When I am seeing the book, when you are seeing the book, right now when you are seeing the book, if I ask you, are you seeing a book? Correct. Now, become aware of the fact that you must have eyes which are seeing the book now. As a, it's a knowledge, right? You are aware of the fact that you have eyes which are open and seeing the book. now do you admit that the center of your attention has shifted from the visible book to the eyes which are not visible book you are seeing yes are you seeing your eyes no you don't even attempt to see your eyes because you know the eyes cannot be seen but you are without any doubt you are clear that you have got eyes which are seeing this very experience proves to you that you have got eyes now use that to become aware of the consciousness don't try to make the consciousness an object be very careful you never try to see your eyes don't try to see your consciousness or be aware of the conscious you can never do it all that you can be aware of is an object it could be a physical object like this it could be a sensation it could be a thought an idea a memory but they are all objects but you can use them 
as certainly as you become aware that you've got eyes, you can become aware of the fact that you are consciousness. This is first stage. When this becomes clear, when you become to begin to stay there, instead of flowing out to the object, you begin to stay there, think about it now, use the mind, the intellect. What kind of, what is this consciousness? Clearly it is self-effulgent. Swaprabha. Clearly it is chit, pure consciousness. Because other than object, consciousness is pure. With object, it becomes um, savishayaka, that means qualified consciousness. So this is how you do it. You're using the intellect, no doubt. So even just the, uh, uh, just the thinking of what is the nature without actually trying to think of the nature, even that, just dwelling in that thought, is an assistance or not? Yes, but if you dwell, yeah, definitely. But because it is continuously available to you, you are Atman. So that Atman is continuously available. Without that Atman, you would not have any experience at all. So it's always there. All the time. There's one person interested in Vedanta. He has a website. I like the name. Never Not Here. <laughs> I think he calls it NeverNotHere.com. But it's a nice name for the Atman. Never Not Here. Always there. But it's better to describe it in negative terms. It's always available to you. Just notice that fact. Bring it into. So what will happen is. Then you are not just mentally or intellectually thinking about it. As long as you are thinking about it intellectually, you are in mananam. When you actually, when it becomes an actuality, a reality for you, that it's here, right now, never not here. Then you are moving from mananam into nididhyasanam, from reasoning to meditation. Yes. Alright, good question. Is that automatic or do you have to do something? We, it, it is automatic. Up to step one and two, you're doing something. Step three, you should glide into it. If you do something there, and this doing is at a very subtle mental level, already we are at a very subtle level. If you do something there, you're back to step one or two. It, you should glide into it. And that gliding into it is the next thing, Samadhi. We are going to talk about Samadhi now. How dhyana becomes samadhi, meditation becomes the samadhi which is highest absorption. What is the difference? In one sense, no difference. This samadhi cannot be achieved by effort. You, the effort stops at dhyana. When the dhyana becomes effortless, that deepens into samadhi. The example is this. When I was... Uh, in LA, when I was learning to drive, so the gentleman who taught me, you know, at first I was like, <clears throat> I was so, so concentrated on the, I was holding the wheel and looking around, and my only concern was not hitting anything or anybody. <laughs> and I would ask the person next to me, do I take a left or a right? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And then he said, Swami, Swami, you'll slowly have to get used to reading the signs, maybe taking a look at the GPS once in a while. And it seemed impossible to me. I'll, I'll, I'll hit somebody if I do that. All these signs whizzing past, how do I look at that? And yet within some time, I could read all the signs. I could even carry on a casual conversation with the guy next to me without taking my eyes off the road. And I was not hitting anybody or anything. And you all do that when you drive. Now that is the first one is also driving, the second one is also driving. <laughs> but what a difference. The second one is almost effortless. Especially when there's almost no traffic, when you drive. I've heard many people tell me, I find driving relaxing. Now at the first stage of my learning, if you told me driving is most relaxing, I wouldn't believe it. It takes all effort and concentration. You're hurtling along the highway at uh, um, 70 miles per hour or 60 miles per hour in a two-ton machine. You could just wreak havoc any time. So you are intensely aware of what's going on every moment of, and all the thing becomes very natural in a very short period of time. So that's the difference between dhyana and samadhi. The same thing which is maintained by effort, stage one, stage two, and then stage three without support. That without support, when you reach that, that deepens into samadhi effortlessly. That you cannot do with an effort. 
that comes effortless. That's the culmination. Whether in Patanjali Yoga or what he is saying here, here in Advaita Vedanta. The 15th practice, the 15th step, the last one, Samadhi. Text, uh, shloka number 124. Nirvikāratayā-vṛtyā-nirvikārataya-vṛtyā-brahmākārataya-punaha-brahmākārataya-punaha-vṛtti-vismaranam-samyak-vṛtti-vismaranam-samyak. What is Samadhi? The complete forgetfulness of this meditative uh, effort. By first making it changeless and identifying it with Brahman, this is called Samadhi. And this is Jnana Samadhi, the Samadhi of knowledge. So what does this mean? First let us consider, say a devotee is meditating on Krishna. So as the meditation deepens, he forgets all awareness of the external world, forgets awareness of the body, how much time has passed, all of that he forgets. It's a deep, unbroken, continuous thought of the blissful presence of Krishna in my heart, shining there. It can happen. There are monks even now who have actually reached that level of meditation. The Swami I mentioned, Swami Gambhirananda, uh, who was the president, the 11th president of the order, a very senior Swami, who is himself the vice president of the order, one day told me this, this story about Swami Gambhirananda. Uh, somebody said that, oh you know that Swami Gambhirananda, he, at that time he was not the president of the order, I don't think he was even the vice president, he, he, was, the, he was a very senior monk. So Swami Gambhirananda has realized God. So this Swami who told me the story, he said, I want to ask Swami Gambhirananda, he said, really true that he has realized God and he went and asked Swami Gambhirananda. Gambhira in Indian language, Sanskrit and other Indian languages means serious, mm -hmm. grave, profound, deep and he was all of that. I have the slightest memory, I was a toddler when I saw him but I still have a memory of him. And all the other senior Swamis who have seen him, they testify to the fact that he was aptly named. <laughs> he rarely if ever smiled. He was he was not sour or uh, miserable, he was very, very deep, very profound. A man of very few words, a profound scholar also. Some of the best books on Vedanta we owe to him. So, this Swami went and asked Swami Gambhirananda, Swami, have you realized God? And Swami Gambhirananda was taken aback. And so, what kind of flippant question is this? He refused to answer at first, but this Swami won't let go. You have to tell me something. And then Swami Gambhiranda said, he used to talk with eyes closed, so, what do you mean by realizing God? The moment I close my eyes, I see the shining form of God in my heart, the living form of God. Moment! Not even after a lot of meditation and practice, no. Anytime I close my eyes, I, I, I see the shining living form of my Ishta Devata in my heart. In Bengali he said, Jal Jal Kareote blazes forth in my heart. And then he said, but is that all? Because this is what you mean by God realization. He said, is that all? Don't I have to see Sarvabhute Brahma Darshan? Don't I have to see Brahman? I have to experience that Brahman is in all beings. The ultimate Advaitic realization. All beings are in me. I am in all beings. All beings are in Brahman. Brahman is in all beings. I am Brahman. So don't I have to experience that? I realize that? And then this monk told me, in the context was, this senior monk was telling me and some other novices, you know why people bow down to you? We are young monks. Why people respect you? Then he told this story and he said, this is what people expect from a monk, at least this standard. That's why people of the world bow down to you. So, why did I say this? This is meditation and it becomes effortless, samadhi. At that point when the person sits in meditation, even one's own very existence that I am meditating on Krishna or Rama or Kali or Christ, that thing also disappears. World long ago, 
dropped from awareness. Body long ago dropped from awareness. But the mind which is meditating, I meditate on God, that thing also drops away. God alone remains. Samadhi. And that too is a lower Samadhi. Savikalpaka Samadhi. Because the form of God remains. Beyond that is Nirvikalpaka Samadhi or Asamprajnata Samadhi, which there are no words to describe it. So, that Samadhi, he says, nirv- Nirvikarataya, unchanging, unflickering. And it is Brahman. Brahman alone remains. I meditate on Brahman. Even I am Brahman, that one, that also disappears. It is beyond the mind. This mind has no more any role to play in that. Brahman alone shines forth and that's it. Vritti Vismaranam. The thought, I am Brahman, the meditative cognition, which alone remained, that is completely forgotten. That is Samadhi. Only in some cases, in, at first in early stages, slowly one awakens from that, back to this world. In deeper stages, one cannot come back. It, one has to be pulled out of it. Sri Ramakrishna often had to be pulled out by other people chanting mantras, singing the name of God loudly near him. You have to come back. Higher than that, you cannot be pulled out. And the person remains in Samadhi, Sri Ramakrishna said 21 days, and the body falls off. It's like a dry leaf falling from a tree. You'll never come back again. So there are different grades and depths of Samadhi. You might say, hey, wait a minute, I don't like that last one. <laughs> I would like to come back. If I don't come back, how can I tell people I've got Samadhi? Look. <laughs> how can I check, check, the, check the glow of my halo? Vritti Vismaranam Samyak. Samadhi Jnana Sangyaka. This is Jnana, Advaitic Samadhi. And Jnana Sangyaka, it sounds, somebody might say, it sounds a lot like being unconscious. It's not unconsciousness. That's why he says Jnana Sangyaka. When Sri Ramakrishna asked uh, Swami Vivekananda, there's a bowl of nectar, Amrita. So would you, suppose you are a fly, would you want to sit on the edge and uh, sip the nectar or would you want to jump into it? And Vivekananda said, I'll sit on the edge and sip it carefully. Why? Because if I fall in, I might, um, I might die. Sri Ramakrishna said, Falling into the nectar of immortality, one becomes immortal, one doesn't die. Falling in is Advaitic Samadhi. Sit on the side and sip. So I want to be separate, I want to keep the ultimate reality separate from me. I enjoy that ultimate reality. That's also a very high state. So this is Samadhi. Done. 15 steps. Congratulations. Now all, it, all that remains is to, <laughs> to enjoy the Samadhi. Yes. All enlightened people would experience some kind of absorption, no doubt about it. But remember, what Advaita aims at is knowledge, not Samadhi. What is the relationship? One might get some of the knowledge right after the effort involved in meditation and samadhi, or the other way around. After getting knowledge, one the mind might be thrown into samadhi. Once this enlightenment comes, it's so powerful and absorbing, mind may completely forget the world and remain in samadhi. So samadhi is not, um, not. I have to phrase this carefully. It is not inextricably connected with enlightenment. Is enlightenment possible without samadhi? You want to give a logical, philosophical answer from Advaitic point of view. True, it is possible. Through the process of Shravana and Manana. Suppose you say, without Nididhyasana, without Vedantic meditation, can you become enlightened? Sure, you can. But in most cases, no. In most cases, we need to soak in what we have learned. To uh, make it a vivid living experience. So Sri Ramakrishna phrased it very carefully. Sri Ramakrishna would go into Samadhi multiple times in a day. 
and yet you will see one thing he never taught samadhi whenever he was asked he would say what is the aim of human life gyan lab kara to get knowledge to become enlightened is the aim of human life what is the aim of human life bhakti lab kara to to get love of god the true love of god with devotion for another mindset that might be the aim of human life bhagavan lab kara to realize god is the aim of human life never he says samadhi lab kara to get samadhi is the aim of human life no Although why samadhi is so much spectacular in the case of Sri Ramakrishna is the devotees saw that and they were attracted to that, so they kept asking. In the gospel, somebody asks Sri Ramakrishna. After all the talk and all, he comes to the real point. This gentleman asks, "Sir, could you teach me samadhi?" And Sri Ramakrishna must have grinned there. But on the other hand, Sri Ramakrishna does make a very carefully phrased suggestion. He says in one place in in the gospel. Shamadhi na hole thik thik hai na. What does that mean? Unless one gets this absorption of samadhi, it is not properly done, or well done, or well completed, or well rounded. You must sink into it for some time and make it very vivid, something that lasts you all the time that the body remains forever. So Totapuri, who would come to Sri Ram, uh, who came to Dakshineshwar, the Advaitic teacher of Sri Ramakrishna, who would meditate every. All these he was enlightened. He would meditate every day. And Sri Ramakrishna asked him, "Why do you meditate every day? You are already enlightened." And Totapuri said, "Look at the brass pot. He had a water pot, just like Shukadeva, stick and a water pot. So the water pot, this brass pot. Unless I polish it, it won't shine. It still be a brass pot, but it won't shine. If I don't meditate, if I don't soak myself in my realization, I'll still be an enlightened person." Yeah. But the mind will gather moss, dust. So I have to sink my mind in that enlightenment every day. Of course, Sri Ramakrishna had to come back to that. He said, if the pot was made of gold, you wouldn't have to polish it every day. <laughs> <laughs> By that, I mean, I, I understand. Probably he means a fully enlightened Jivan Mukta, or he might even mean an avatar who doesn't need all this. But that's kind of unfair to Tosapuri because he can't become an avatar. <laughs> he can only become a Jivan Mukta, like all of us. Yes. Swami, is renunciation really necessary to do samadhi? Uh, which one? Uh, renunciation, renounce, uh, like a family and attachments. And that was the third step, tyaga, yama. Then what was the? Do you remember the fifteen steps? What was what were the fifteen steps? Yama, niyama, tyaga. Third step, long ago. You have already renounced everything. Too late to ask. <laughs> Is it necessary? Sri Ramakrishna had a direct answer for sannyasi: internal renunciation, external renunciation. For a person in the world, say like the Emperor Janaka, does he have to renounce his empire? He says internal renunciation. I've told you the story of the monkey, uh, the monkey who used to steal things from the farmer. And the farmer put the to teach the monkey a lesson. The farmer put the fruits in a long, narrow-necked jar. So that when the monkey came down from the tree and tried to steal the fruits, it put its hand in the jar, and the banana or something got stuck in there. And he could see the farmer rushing at him with a stick to beat him. Now the only way the monkey can escape is to let go of the fruit. But the monkey is greedy; won't let go of the fruit, and it's stuck in the jar. And so he gets a thrashing from the farmer. How can the monkey escape? The monkey has to let go. Renounce that fruit, so the monkey has to become a monk. <laughs> you have to do it internally. If you do it externally and not internally, no good. Even a monk, suppose externally. So in India, it's a common phrase: "Oh, yogi, you have coloured your cloth, but not your mind. You have coloured your cloth in the colour of renunciation." Somebody asked, "What's the meaning of this orange?" It is the meaning of it's the colour of renunciation, the fire of renunciation. But if this is just the cloth, and the mind is full of attachment, then it doesn't work. The renunciation has to be internal and ultimately external. Remember, you have to become a kind of an internally you become a monk. Do you externally have to become a monk? No, not necessary. Some of the extreme forms of Buddhism and Jainism insist. There are some extreme uh, forms. Even classical Advaita Vedanta, an extre uh, extreme form, would insist: No, you have to physically become a monk or a nun. Um, 
there are forms in Theravada Buddhism which put that the lay people are good, they will go to higher realms if you are a good Buddhist, but it's only a Buddhist monk or a nun who is going to become, uh, who is going to get nirvana, become, a, uh, become enlightened. So that was an emphasis on external renunciation, but it will not work unless there is internal renunciation. And Sri Ramakrishna would say, for you, internal renunciation. Internally one must be monk-like, not monkey-like. And for a monk who has become a monk already, internal and external. Just because one has become a monk externally does not mean that the person has renounced internally. Attachment may be still be there. I think I've already told you the story about, about the person who went to the ashram and was looking around here and there and the abbot, the senior monk of the ashram said, what are you doing so restlessly? Oh, I lost um, 500 rupees here. And the monk said, money, you're thinking about money here? Go to the temple and meditate. Forget it, these things will come and go in the world. And the devotee thought, oh, he's right. And he went to the temple and meditated. A few days later he came to find a tremendous tumult going on in the ashram. The abbot was there, his face was red and with anger and was shouting and all the people in the ashram were standing with their heads bowed, uh, trembling and he was shouting, I'm going to call the police, I'm going to complain, I'm going to throw the lot of you in jail. And this devotee came and said, Swami, what's wrong? I had kept 20 rupees on the desk, now I can't find it. One of these rascals has stolen it, I want to find out who's done it. This devotee said, but Swami, when I had lost 500 rupees, you told me that don't think about it. This is an ashram. Think about God. Now you are so worried and angry about 20 rupees. And Swami said, oh, you don't understand. That was your 500 rupees. This is my 20 rupees. <laughs> That's attachment internally. Yes. We don't have time, but all right. We have actually completed the 15 steps. I think we'll take it up. You had a question? Somebody? Yes, you had a question. Alright. Sri Ramakrishna once said that, I'll say it in Bengali, Ami chini hote chayna, chini khete chay. I don't want to taste sugar. Could you give a little bit more explanation to that? I want to taste sugar, I don't want to uh, be sugar. So, tasting sugar is that dualistic attitude. Where I want to retain the identity of being a devotee, then that ultimate reality, instead of saying I am Brahman, that ultimately rea ultimate reality becomes my beloved Lord, yeah. and then you can have a conception of it: the Divine Mother, or Father in Heaven, or Krishna or Christ, an incarnation, and then you enjoy the presence of God, the love of God. You establish a relationship with God. It's a beautiful thing. I don't want to be identical with God. This identity with God, one, one thing is, then you lose the distinction between subject and object. There, there is no more question of, I am enjoying something else. So that's the difference. It's a question of uh, attitude. Some people may not want this kind of non-dual oneness. Some people may want a divine communion, a personal relationship with God. That's fine too. That's fine too. Sri Ramakrishna was an avatar, so he catered to the whole spectrum of spiritual seekers. Yes. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna used to say uh, there is no difference between pure bhakti and pure knowledge. Hmm. Uh, my question is in, the con in that context, uh, when we were describing the med meditation of a bhakta and he goes to the highest level uh, of, of, uh, of being absorbed in say Krishna, hmm. how does he then Right. So the pure bhakti ultimately takes you to oneness with your um, chosen ideal, Ishta Devata. You go into that effortlessly, automatically it happens. The, what happens is, notice what happens in bhakti. You are getting ever closer to God. Now, if you take it mathematically, what's the limit of that? Oneness. Isn't it? Oneness. And that's the oneness that the non-dualist is talking about. But the bhakta may not want that oneness. Even after the experience of oneness, may again want to come back and retain. And Sri Ramakrishna himself says, after attaining the highest knowledge, how do you live in this world? He says, 
Thou art the master, I am the servant. Or thou art my mother, I am thy child. Remain like that for the rest of your life. After attaining the highest knowledge. After knowing that I and God are one and the same reality. Hanuman says, I know from the point of view, thou art the master, from the point of, point of view of my body, thou art the master. He says to Ramachandra, I am thy servant. From the point of view of the jiva, the, in, the sentient soul inside, you are the whole and I am thy part. But from the point of view of pure consciousness which I am, you and I are one and the same thing. Atma buddhya tvamevaham. This is my firm conviction. Iti me nishchitamati. This is my firm conviction. Now all attitudes are there. Dvaita, vishishta dvaita, dvaita. Um, when Hanuman says that. Yes. So pure knowledge and pure bhakti also culminate in that same oneness. Or realization of that oneness. Uh, when I look at it from the point of view of the body, then I am subject to pains and uh, miseries and old age and disease and death. After all, what is born and what dies? What ages and what succumbs to sickness? The body. When I think of myself as the mind, depression, um, desire, frustration, anger, lust, greed, disturbance of the mind, all of them say, I am angry, I am greedy, I am disturbed, I need to be peaceful. Why? You are identified with the mind. Dukkha will be there. If you are identified with the sentient being who dwells there, who is right now this person, but lived other lives and will live other lives in the future, then you are subject to the dictates of the law of karma. If I am meritorious, I will go to higher lokas. If I am not meritorious, I will suffer in various hells. Right? So that is from a point of view of jiva, the sentient being. Beyond that, the witness consciousness, Satchidananda, I am Brahman. Neither am I the body nor its troubles, neither am I the mind nor its ups and downs and pains, nor am I the sentient being Jiva. Ah, jiva Brahmevanapar, I the sentient being am another, none other than Brahman, means I am no longer Jiva then, I am Brahman. Then truly you are from that perspective free of all trouble. This body is not me, it's not mine. This mind is not me, it's not mine. This little creature, person, Swami Sarva Priyananda, is not me, it does not have any relation to me also. Then I am Brahman. What sorrow there? You're, you enjoy infinitude. You feel your oneness with the entire universe. I am one with the universe, the universe shines in me, yet it is not in me also. It's an appearance. The snake shines in the rope, but if you ask the rope, why is there a snake in you? They'll say, what? The rope will say, what snake? You're making a mistake. No snake at all. I am Satchidananda. This is the mystery. This is the fun. So it's an auspicious day. I pray to the Lord, may, may we be all blessed with this knowledge. Americans have a phrase, ASAP, which I like, I know it's, as soon as possible. Let us all be blessed with this knowledge, with this realization, as soon as possible. Then life itself becomes a blessing for you, and you become a blessing for everybody around you. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu